0: Well, good morning again a happy new year Here this morning scripture reading from Matthew 2 verses 1 through 12 After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the territory of Judea during the rule of King Herod Magi came from the east to Jerusalem They asked where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east and we've come to honor him When King Herod heard this, he was troubled, and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. He gathered all the chief priests and the legal experts and asked them where the Christ was to be born. They said, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote. You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come one who governs who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and found out from them the time when the star had first appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the child. When you have found him, report to me, so that I too may go and honor him. When they heard the king, they went. And look, the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with Mary his mother. Falling to their knees, they honored him. Then they opened their treasure chests and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Holy Spirit, we ask for your wisdom and understanding as we enter into this Word and meditate on it, that you may speak to us. We may hear exactly what it is that you want us to notice and and take action on in our lives this day. And if there's encouragement you need to give to us or... Peace that you want to bring to us, God. We pray that your will will be done, and we pray this in your name, Amen. So we're wrapping up the story of Christmas. We're going to end with the Magi because traditionally, this is the last part of Christmas in the church. Um, part of what I've been doing is the story through the story of God has been sharing the getting the scripture and sharing through the timeline and pieces of that. And so, um, you know, most of our nativity scenes we don't have a full one up here, but like mine at home has these kings kneeling around the manger right which is it's fine i don't have any problem with that it's just it didn't happen that way and we read in scripture um that the magi came later and so we don't know exactly how much later um but the the church it could have been two years you know because herod goes and kills all the babies two years and younger so could have been a while but however however much longer it was um we know they came And they're a really important part of the story Um, and I want to take a a minute to look at them in fact the um, the church calendar the day we recognize them as I mentioned is January 6th which we call epiphany and we know that word because we use it elsewhere you know it's this idea that there's this great revelation of some kind and one of the reasons that this has been a, a feast day in the christian calendar I, i'm not having a feast in my house for Biffany, but in the past it has been a feast day in the christian calendar is because this is when the church has remembered that jesus the son of god was revealed to the rest of the world outside of the jewish people so the the magi come they're the first non-jewish people to come to jesus and that's a big deal so we just heard Matthew 2, 1 through 12. And of course, this is where we get the story of the star, which we have the star on top of our, the tree. A lot of our, We get a lot of stars. There's stars on the windows. Um, this is where the star comes in to Christmas. Uh, I Christina and I had this experience this last summer to see stars in a way I've never seen them before. Um, we were in Hawaii during my sabbatical for a couple of weeks, and we went up on top of Mauna Kea, which is, um, they say, if you measure from the bottom of the ocean, it's the tallest mountain in um, the Western Hemisphere, I think. It's huge. But uh, it actually was active like two weeks ago, I think. No, it was Mauna Loa. Excuse me, there's two of them. But Mauna Kea is where they have all the observatories. So you can drive up. But you go from the ocean to the top, and it's 11,000 feet. So it's pretty intense. You have to stop and do some acclimation and then... They ask you all these questions about your health at the gate before they let you through. And then you have to have a four-wheel drive, and you have to put in low gear, and you drive all the way up past all the observatories, and you get to the top. And so we were there for sunset, and it was stunning. And that's the reason they have the observatories up there is, of course, is because you're high enough to get away from a lot of the um, atmospheric uh, the air, the humidity that holds in all the light. And in Hawaii, you're far enough away from a lot of the light pollution that you get just a stunning view of the night sky. So the, all these different nations have observatories up on top of Mauna Kea. So we, um, they kick you off at sunset, but the trick was as you're driving down, you can find a little spot to pull off and just wait. And so we did and just waited until full dark. And it's just hard to Describe how many stars there we saw. I thought I had seen a lot before. There's times when I've seen some, like on the east side, when we've been hiking, but just so many stars. And the beauty of the stars, it can just take your breath away. And I'm sure all of you have had a chance to see something like that, where you've seen the Milky Way so clearly going across the night sky. It always makes me wonder what the stars would have looked like in a time before electricity in the evening, or at a town like Bethlehem, for example. People used stars, and even occasionally still do, for navigation for a very long time, in part because they could see them more clearly than we can, but also because those stars um, don't move, and they provide a fixed point from any point on the earth where you can use it. Our World War II bombers used You know sextants little hand ones just like they used on ships for years to actually navigate right to their location to do bombing during world war ii the story we have in the bible is about the star that we call the christmas star we don't know exactly what it was we know that it was a very clear sign in the sky and the reason that the magi noticed the star is because this one is moving (laughs) This one is not fixed, like all the other stars. So they've probably got their instruments that they're using of some kind, and they're, they're watching this and, they're, and it says, you notice, it says it stops at some point. And when it stops moving, they go, oh, we've, we've arrived in the right place. Now, as modern people, we go, oh, well, it, it could be a planet of some kind. That would make sense. It moves, it's bright, it looks like a the star. Um, they didn't know about planets, maybe they would have called it a star. A lot of modern theories revolve around the arrival of a comet of some kind that was hanging up in the sky for a while that they saw. Um, or it could have been that God created a giant ball of nuclear fusion and fire millions and trillions of miles, light years out in space, and he moved it for the magi. I don't know if any of these are possible, but whatever we, however we look at it, whatever this star was, what we hear in the story is that God used it to get the attention of these wise guys, as I like to think of them, the wise men. And who are they exactly? Well, as I mentioned, they're, in our text, in many texts, they're called magi, where we get the word um, magician or magic from. They're not kings. They're not kings. Is this important? Actually, yeah, it is. This is one of those details that we have oh actually I think I see some oh no, that's just no magic back there. I thought I saw one. I'm looking at all these little scenes around here, because usually they have crowns on, right? And it's not a terrible thing, but it is important, and here's why: Kings may have been seen as worthy to come to Jesus. They're wealthy, they're royalty. And actually, this story is telling us the exact opposite these astrologers these magicians these outsiders are coming to the christ how many well we don't know (laughs) Uh, we know that it's at least two because the word is plural it says magi so it's more than one Uh, but we don't know exactly how many we get three from the fact that there were three gifts offered so there may have been three there may have been more we don't know exactly for sure. It's really not that important, actually. In some Christian traditions, we have, we have names for them. Again, it's, it's extra biblical. It's something we've added in later. Not necessarily a bad thing. We just don't know. And if, by the way, you are, as you've heard the story, you, you're upset with me about ruining the idea of Mary riding on a donkey or that these guys aren't kings or something like that, here's a little, here's a little uh, friendly gesture for you. They probably did ride camels. They, I mean that seems likely <laughs> they came from a ways in the east, and that was a common form of transportation for wealthy individuals. yeah, they probably came on camels, and we don't know where they came from. we just were just told the east. so we speculate maybe Babylonia, modern day Iraq, kind of area area. Um, it's possible, and then some again, some traditions say that. They may have been studying some biblical prophecies that had been left left around from the time of Daniel and that they were in the same sort of group of learned people who would have studied the same things and maybe Daniel had some influence there years later. Are these good people or bad people? The answer is yes. (laughs) They appear to be good people. I mean, they're giving very expensive gifts to a baby and they're obeying the dream not to go back and tell the king about this child um, but they're bad in the sense that they are from the biblical perspective outsiders and astrologers that's what this word magi really conveys these are people who study and make meaning out of the stars here's how dale Bruner puts it in his commentary he says Magi were officially considered people who looked and taught others to look to beggarly creatures rather than to the creator and his Torah for guidance. They looked to their own calculations, wisdom, and mental creations, for example, zodiacs, to deliver the meaning of things. Official Israel deeply despised the magicians and astrologers of the Gentiles and felt that God had rescued his people from the tyranny of the stars and from those who claimed to know their secrets so as you can see they would not have been seen as good guys to the people who first heard this story but scripture reveals them to be good are they wise men another way we like to translate it are they wise well, i mean a astro- i mean it's weird from a modern perspective to answer that question astrology astronomy they were combined in ancient times they weren't separate disciplines they were obviously very learned they clearly had enough influence that king herod wanted to have a conversation with them they were obviously very wealthy so of some influence and power so it's hard to say other than the fact The wisdom they have i think it's okay to call them wise men they come to jesus so it's god revealing wisdom to them okay why are they an important part of the story we only have a little bit about the birth of jesus in matthew and luke why are they important and this gets back to what i mentioned at the very beginning because they represent the outsiders they represent the gentiles they represent the sinners It's fascinating that Matthew wants us to know that even at his birth, before he's speaking a word, Jesus is drawing these kinds of people to him. Now later, that will be obvious when Jesus chooses his 12 stunningly unlikely disciples. When Jesus interacts with prostitutes, with tax collectors, with lepers, and other so-called sinners. It will become obvious that Jesus draws these kinds of people to him, but even at his birth. Here's Isaiah 61 through 6, often looked at as one of the prophecies about Jesus. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They, are, they all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried in their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant, and your heart shall thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you the wealth of the nations shall come to you a multitude of camels shall cover you the young camels of midian and ephah all those from sheba shall come they shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the lord you can see how early on that prophecy was connected with the arrival of the magi and if you're curious That's where the tradition of kings comes from. Because you'll notice it says the kings will come to you in there. As I reflect on this scripture, I have to ask, who do we attract to Jesus? When we look at our churches, surely they will be attracting the same kinds of people if the churches are the body of Christ. I have to admit that often I think about this, that the kind of people that Jesus called to himself and attracted to himself and whose lives were transformed were often the kinds of people that we may not be so comfortable sitting in a worship service with us. And I wonder if we can be okay with that. In my experience of many years doing youth ministry, I found that most Christian parents were not okay with that. The North American Church has largely become comfortable with um, trading attenders between congregations rather than truly attracting new disciples of Jesus because new disciples often don't look like us or talk like us or sound like us. If you're completely comfortable with the people that you worship with Sunday after Sunday, then I would say we're a church that has some work to do (laughs) is that an odd way to think about it what if we're not fully being a church until there's someone here we don't like (laughs) or someone here we don't feel comfortable with because maybe there's already someone here you don't like i won't i won't go there but someone you're uncomfortable with why did the magi even come well scripture tells us god called them God called them. In fact, God used something that they would understand. And notice, the stars. No one else was probably taking the same little measurements that they did. I mean, again, we don't know what the star looked like, but we don't get a lot of references to it elsewhere. In fact, some people have said, "Ah, this probably didn't happen because it didn't make it in the history books. But, But notice, these guys were probably sitting out at night taking little measurements of the stars, and they noticed this one, and they noticed it moving. God used it. It's remarkable, considering that this is a practice, that what they were doing was punishable by death, according to the Old Testament, and yet God used it. The story of the Magi, of the wise men, actually, it's the story of all of us. That We were the strangers. We were the foreigners to God. We were the ones that God somehow grabbed our attention. If you think about your story, I think you'll find that that's true. God used something to call you, just like He did with the Magi, or someone often. So, how do we respond to all of this? Well, I love that in this story, we find that when these Magi arrive, they show more wisdom, they worship, they worship Jesus. They show faithfulness. They show obedience. They show thankfulness. These are things we can all do. Clearly, arrogance or condemnation of others or selfishness is not a faithful response to God's call. And that may seem obvious to say, but look, in my Christian family, too often I see that publicly being displayed. I'd rather us have humility, faithfulness, obedience, thankfulness. You know, one of the oldest traditions in interpreting this text by the church involves the very end of the story. It says that at the very end, they were warned in a dream not to go back by Herod, so they went home another way. And Christian preachers and teachers and commentators throughout the centuries have looked at that as being a really significant little comment, not just a a sort of, oh, they took a different road home. But no, they they went home differently. They, they went home changed. And I believe this is, this is a faithful way to think about what it means to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. That we allow Him to change us, to take us in a new direction. And look, we're at New Year's Day today. This is the day when a lot of people think about The next year ahead and resolutions and maybe some goals and maybe some of you are better than me and you actually write those down and you know put some steps and how you're going to do those that's wonderful and as christians it's a great time to pause and ask ourselves if god isn't calling us to take another direction go a different way maybe it is time to make some changes Before we move to communion, I'm just going to give us a short time to be silent and reflect, and maybe you want to ask God that question yourself. Is there a different direction I need to take? Let's take some time for silence.